You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. There'll always be opposition if you're doing the work that's for the Lord. Always. Always. And because of the opposition, the people during that time with Zerubbabel decided, well, so much opposition, we're not going to be able to complete it. Maybe it's not our job to complete it. Maybe it's somebody else's. And so they basically retired from the work. When they said, well, it must not be time. When they were wrong. You never stop when things get tough. You keep pushing through. You stay faithful in the tough time. Don't let opposition hold you back from the will of God. Many have falsely come to think that to be a Christian means to escape difficulties. Honestly, the opposite is true. With Christianity, more difficulties will come, but so will Jesus in all of his glory. Today, Pastor Danny teaches you to embrace the challenges that come and to diligently work through them with Jesus at your side. Allow Him to carry you when you're beaten, and allow Him to celebrate with you when you're strong. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1, as he begins his message, Building Something for God. We're reading through a big part of the Old Testament. We just finished the book of Joshua, and as we're reading through during the week, the goal of daily reading, then on the weekend we're pulling out a section and teaching on that section. Well, we've gone from the book of Joshua all the way to the book of Nehemiah. And you might be going, you skipped a lot of books. What in the world were you thinking when you put that plan together? Well, it's been so long ago, I don't remember. So to bring us up to speed from Joshua to Nehemiah, uh, you need to pay attention because I need to take you on a little history lesson. It was the year 1400 BC thereabout when Israel entered the promised land led by Joshua. They have a string of victories But over time, because the giants were resisting them and the people of the land were opposing them, it was tough going. They became complacent. And in time, instead of continuing to drive these people out as God had instructed them to, they allowed these people to influence them into worshiping their gods. So Israel fell to idolatry. Well, when they fell to idolatry, um, as always happens when you walk away from the Lord, things don't work out too well for you in the long run. And because of the uh, things happening and the enemy um, armies being allowed to come in and, and do damage in Israel, they would cry out to the Lord. 
The next book after Joshua is the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is just a, a history uh, during years of Israel's life where they would fall into idolatry, and because of what happened as a result of the enemy now having place in their lives and it didn't work out well, they'd cry out to God, oh God, we're sorry, oh God, help us, and God, being the gracious God that he is, would help them. And he would send a judge or a deliverer. Then after a little while, they get out of the foxhole, foxhole prayer, and they go right back to doing the same things again. And God would allow the enemy to have Adam, and there they would be back again uh, in a tough situation. They'd cry out to God, oh God, we're so sorry, we did it again, please forgive us. And God would raise up another judge, another deliverer, and this went on for year after year after year. And finally, God got so fed up that he allowed a king named Nebuchadnezzar wicked, bad dude, Babylon, to come down to Israel and uh, defeat the Israelites, go into Jerusalem, ruin the city, destroy the temple. It was awful. But the Babylonian captivity, which is what happened after Nebuchadnezzar came in, they, they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and they deported Israelites out of Israel to the land of Babylon and imported Babylonians into Israel. Well, Babylon would have its day, and uh, 539, Medo-Persia would defeat Babylon. Now, hang with me. Pay attention. This is, all has, this is all going somewhere. Jeremiah prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would be 25 or 70 years in Jeremiah chapter 25. After the Babylonian captivity, God would now begin to restore what the devil had been allowed to destroy. And it started with a man who became the governor of Israel at the time. His name is Zerubbabel. That was around 538 BC. You read about that in Ezra chapter 2. He brings some exiles from uh, the other lands that they've been uh, deported to, and he begins this work that God led him to do, and his specific work was to do th two things, rebuild the altar and rebuild the temple. And always in that order, the altar is always the priority, the place of worship, personal uh, sacrifice, etc., and then the temple, that's the physical structure where the people would gather together. And you better know that as soon as he started the work and the people joined him in the work, guess what happened? Opposition. There'll always be opposition if you're doing the work that's for the Lord. Always. Always. And because of the opposition, the people during that time with Zerubbabel decided, well, so much opposition, we're not going to be able to complete it. Maybe it's not our job to complete it. Maybe it's somebody else's. And so they basically retired from the work. And they said, well, it must not be time. When they were wrong. You never stop when things get tough. You keep pushing through. You stay faithful in the tough times. So God had to send some prophets. He sends Haggai and Zechariah. Now pause there with me just for a minute and go with me to the book of Zechariah and listen to the kind of things God said to and through Zechariah. Zechariah needed encouragement himself as a leader in this work. And in Zechariah chapter 4, God speaks to and through Zechariah. Verse 6, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by mine, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain, the opposition, the challenges? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And then verse 10 is great. Great encouragement, especially for Zerubbabel, but also for the people who despises the day of small things. God's not done yet. may not be impressive. He's saying to Zerubbabel right now, but you hang with it and you watch what I'll do. Now, he also spoke during this time through Haggai, and if you back up just before Zechariah, little small two-chapter book of Haggai, and what Haggai has to say, it didn't give them warm fuzzies, but they needed to hear it. And here's what Haggai says. Verse two, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Whoa, that's a rebuke. They stopped the work of the Lord, but they paid attention to their own needs and their own personal house. They didn't stop spending money on that and spending time there. What happened is their priorities got messed up. Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It's a bad purse. What is he saying? What was happening? Because their priorities weren't now the kingdom of God, but their own personal lives, their own personal possessions, it wasn't the kingdom of God first, and all these things shall be added unto you. No, it was all these things first. Their priorities were messed up. And because of that, all of a sudden, their paycheck is not going as far as it would normally. In other words, they lost the blessing of God. All of a sudden, the air conditioner goes out, and you say, that's fairly new air conditioner. Why did it go out? All of a sudden, the car breaks down. All of a sudden, the money starts to disappear in a sense. It's because their priorities were messed up, and they lost the blessing of God. Now, you want to have the ministry of Haggai if you're a Christian leader of any kind. Because even though it was, it was tough for them to hear, they needed to hear it. And when Haggai rebukes them because their priorities were messed up, you know what they do? They come and say, you know what, you're right. And they got back to doing the work. And they finished it in record time. And then time passes. 60 years later, there's another work that needs to be done. And now God raises up a man named Ezra. Ezra. Now the place of worship is built. The altar is reestablished. They're coming. They're offering sacrifices. They're worshiping together. But another work needs to be completed. What's this one? Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says that Ezra devoted himself to studying and teaching the word of God. He studied and taught the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 8 says that Ezra gathered all the Israelites together 
And for a whole day, they read through every verse in the Bible. And then he had people stationed throughout the congregation that if anybody didn't hear it or had a question, they could ask a question so they'd make sure that they understood what God was saying. And here's what happened as a result of Ezra's ministry. They ended up not just going to a place of worship and offering sacrifices. They ended up getting the word of God in them and the word of God began to transform their lives. And a second great work under Ezra, after the place of worship and sacrifices established, now the word of God being taught and over time, they began to become different people. But there was a third work. Yet to be done. Zerubbabel builds the altar in the temple and the people with him do the work. Ezra taught the word of God and through that there was spiritual reform, revival if you will. But one more word. Enter a man named Nehemiah. And under Nehemiah the walls around Jerusalem were to be rebuilt and the gates restored. And there were lots of gates, lots of work. Walls were walls of defense, etc. Nehemiah, Nehemiah called to do this, and it's very interesting. Nehemiah would have been born in captivity. Why do I note that? Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Just a quick note. God bless Hakaliah. Why? Why? Because Nehemiah is born in captivity. He's born in a foreign land. He's born among a people that worshiped all kinds of other gods, not the God of Israel. But his parents, his parents, though deported from their homeland, they never lost their faith. They never allowed themselves to be influenced by the peoples that they lived around. They continued to have faith in the God of Israel, and they passed that faith on to their children. Hakaliah, as a father, passed his faith on to Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble. They're in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates had been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the, hear the prayer of your servant that he's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my fathers, have, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. That's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there. Bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name, Jerusalem. They're your servants, your people, 
whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Pause. What man? Nehemiah is praying this great prayer and it concludes with, give me favor in in the presence of this man. What man? I was cupbearer to the king. Whoa! The king of ancient Persia, they're the ones ruling now. Medes and the Persians, Persians became greater. The king of Persia, modern-day Iran. I just love this book, man. You just can't get better stories in here than these stories. It's amazing what God does. I mean, throughout time, throughout time, even though his people have uh, have been in idolatry and and been given over to the enemy, but uh, they get to the point, they cry out, oh God, help me. And he's so gracious, he's so merciful. He reaches down, he raises up somebody. And he strategically positions people whose hearts he would move. Oh, there's some pretty significant people, even if you haven't studied the Bible. You know the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Daniel became a high government official, like Nehemiah, for a divine purpose. I was cupbearer to the king. You couldn't get a more important position than that. What does a cupbearer to the king do? Well, he tests everything that the king is going to drink. Why would you need a cupbearer like that? Because <laughs> throughout history, and you find sometimes in the Bible, uh, sometimes even your own staff, if you're the king, they got a plan to get rid of you and one of the ways they would do it is they would poison your food or your drink and so you had someone to make sure that everything was safe so that every time you sat down for a meal every time you took a drink you were confident I'm not gonna die (laughs) because somebody poisoned this Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king of ancient Persia Still awake? Chapter 2. Oh, man, this is good. In the month of Nisan, that's four months later after the prayer. Four months later after Nehemiah prays that heartfelt prayer. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, now we know his name. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Notice it says, and Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid, very much afraid. Why would he be afraid that the king is asking why there's anxiety or sadness on his face? Because as cupbearer, if you have anxiety or sadness on your face, you make the king suspicious that maybe something's wrong with the wine. What's wrong? And Nehemiah was afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what is it you want? Stop there for just a minute. If you ever have the privilege of having a king say to you, what is it you want? Let me strongly encourage you, go big. (laughs) At that point, 
Don't think small. What is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, he didn't close his eyes, he didn't bow, but in his heart, right there, before he answers the king, in that split second, he prays. You can pray anytime, anywhere. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, well, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? Now, I got to fill in some detail without turning to the scriptures because we don't have the time. But if you'll trust me, I've checked out the scriptures and I can tell you from the scriptures how long Nehemiah asked the king for a leave of absence. You know how long it was? 12 years. Let me go back and rebuild my homeland in the city there. How long are you going to be gone? It'll only take about 12 years. It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time, 12 years. I also said to him, <laughs> he's not done asking. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And he's not done asking. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he'll give me lumber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? Wow, give me enough materials, would you, king, to build everything, and I'm gonna be gone long enough. I gotta build my own house too. Give me enough for that. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave the, them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. How cool is that, man? You're going to do a work for God and you got tanks escorting you. You got the best military machinery. Don't miss verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. You make a move for God, the alarm in hell goes off. They're moving. They're doing something. They're doing more than just attending church. The enemy is aroused. Nehemiah, at night, gets on a horse. He rides through the city. He surveys the situation, assesses the needs, and then he goes to the people. He says in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. In other words, hey, we got all the resources we need. We just need one more thing. Are you willing to do something? Are you willing to put your hand to the plow? Are you willing to get to work? And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and another one now, Geshem the Arab, when they heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And they answered, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. What a story. Now here's what you want to do when you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God. You don't want to just hear it. You want to say, oh, how does that apply to me? What, what does that mean for me? I look at Nehemiah, what a leader. And Nehemiah not only prayed, he got involved. It's one thing to pray. 
but he was willing to get involved. And he was willing to leave a prominent, prestigious position in order to get involved. so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. We'd like to take a moment and offer you an opportunity to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of this program? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and that their hearts would be open to the truth of the gospel. Please also pray for us. We want to continue following God's plan for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to the Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from God's truth. That does incur some costs, though. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thank you for praying about this. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on The Living Word.